Good to see our guest here from Arizona. Got the Kraus family here. Jerry's family. Let's give it up for dad and friend, family. What's, who's sitting next to you there? Your new wife? Let's give it up for Kraus and his new wife. I didn't even know this. Amen. Praise God. Good days. Okay, let's go. Hebrews chapter 11. And if you want to learn about being a father for many, many years, talk to Jerry's dad. He is an amazing father. Love him so much. Next few moments that we have together, we're going to go through the book of Hebrews. No karaoke Bible up here for you until uh, I feel like you guys have learned to use your Bible because we got lazy for a while. So now at least through the month of July, we're going no Bible on the screen. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, your phone is a dumb phone. You got to make it a smartphone and put your Bible there, okay? And if you have Facebook and you don't have God's book, you're in trouble, Amen? A little pastor jokes there. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11. If your neighbor looks like they're struggling, help them get their paper Bible, phone Bible, and I use the NIV. We've been going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse in our second service, and we have been in Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, now for eight sermons. So verse by verse through Hebrews, and put on the brakes a little bit, we've been in just this chapter for eight weeks. And the reason is, is there's so many good things to get out of it. How many have been blessed by the Hall of Faith? Amen. There's so many stories there, starting with uh, how we went to Cain and Abel, having faith in our times of offering and giving God our best, and then looking at Enoch and how he walked with the Lord, and then also Noah, faithfulness to be righteous in a generation that was wicked, Abraham, Sarah, that was a wonderful time. We spent a lot of time there. And then last week, we went over Isaac, which is Abraham's firstborn, Isaac, Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes, and then Joseph. And by going through that, we learned the little bit that was shared. Everyone get this. The blessing was that they kept their faith from generation to generation. And I wish that that would have fallen on Father's Day. That would have been nice. But I will just remind all of our fathers here today, we love you, we encourage you to be faithful, to hand down your blessings from generation to generation. Now today we're going to talk about Moses. And I mean, you can just imagine the challenge it is to summarize Moses' life. But I think inspired by the Holy Spirit, our author did an amazing job. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 23. And notice it starts... Before Moses' story starts, it starts with his parents. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, how would a parent know your child is not ordinary? I'm, I'm curious about it because don't every parent here think your child is extraordinary? Especially, like, I'm a father today because Bethany started us off. Now I have six. But Bethany was my first. I would have thought she was extraordinary. Honestly, how many parents can relate to that? I guess you didn't like your children, those who are not saying anything. I mean, listen to what the Bible story says. It says the parents saw that Moses was extraordinary. Do you think there's any parent looking at their child as they're born going, eh, I don't know. I don't think you're extraordinary. So I think there's something here that we need to get right at the beginning. There was either a miracle that happened at uh, Moses' birth, literally halo, bright shining light, some type of a prophetic word, or for the parent, everyone get this, they saw the potential of Moses being amazing because every single child has an amazing potential. Do you get that? So think about that. They're, they're like, I can't give up this child because this child has potential to change the world. That should be said whether or not you see the halo or not. That's where, that's where we as parents can learn from Moses' parents right at the beginning. Because if you're asking me, where am I putting my theologian vote? You know, like I said, if you get three theologians together, you got four opinions. Why is that? Because there's one that's double-minded. Well, it could be this or it could be that. I don't know. You know, they have two minds there. So everyone's going to have an opinion. So if, if you're looking at my Richter scale here, you're looking at this side being, it's a miracle. There's a bright, shining light. They know something that's spiritual about Moses. Or over here, they see the potential of a child as any parent would. Guess where I'm leaning more towards? I'm leaning more towards the natural aspect of it, and they were great parents, and they're saying, Pharaoh, you don't get one of my children. You don't get to have any of them. 
And if it's up to me, I'm going to live and die by this child right here because I see the potential of what this child could be. Now let's apply it to abortion. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, no. Oh, yeah, this is what we do in church. Who has the right to say to their own born child, you're not worth living? Certainly not the parent according to God because the argument goes if the parent can do it in the womb, why can't the parent do it out of the womb? And why can't we do it in husbands and wives when we get in fights? And why can't we do it with teenagers? Y'all don't get quiet on me now. Don't act like nobody ever raises their voice in your home. Come on, you get in arguments with your parents, your children, your wives, spouses. Why can't we kill each other whenever they're an inconvenience in our lives? So according to God, no one has the right to take away someone else's life. Why is that? People are made in the image of God. And people who are made in the image of God have amazing potential. You never know if you're there with the Moses. But here's the catch-22. What would you do if you were the mother of Hitler? You look back at some of these uh, what-ifs, you know. And in philosophy, you know, this is like a moral conundrum. What if you could have gone back in time and aborted Hitler? Would you have done it? What if you, as the school teacher, could have killed Hitler? Would you have done it? Now, of course, according to the Bible, time travel is not a thing, so we're not doing it. But the question is, according to our moral code, what do we believe? And we do not believe that someone deserves to die by what they could do, but only after they have done it. So we stand by justice after the fact. And you might say that's unfair, but notice this. God knew all of us would sin, and he still allowed us to be born, and he gave Jesus as an answer. And then sometimes people say, well, what about all of that evil that he could have stopped? Doesn't that make God evil? No, it doesn't. It makes God the author of free will. But he then is not responsible for our free will. Don't get it twisted. God is responsible for giving us responsibility. That is true. He gave it to us. But now you and I will be held responsible with what we do with that responsibility. Can I hear an amen? For human volition. That's what we believe. And so in that catch-22, it's not really hard for the Christian. Once the person does the wicked act, now they can be judged wicked. We will not prevent a wicked act simply based on the idea of a woulda, coulda, shoulda. Otherwise, you would have murdered me as a teenager of what I would have become. But how many are glad that I had breath in my lungs for another day to accept Jesus Christ? Because there's always a chance of redemption. But then once a line is crossed, death penalties are in place. God's justice is there for everyone after they die. So we look at the, Mos uh, the parents of Moses, and they were better, let's be honest, than most parents today who are pro-choice because they believe it's okay to end a child's potential. And of course, there is no future knowledge of them even doing something wrong. It's only out of their inconvenience. Most abortions are done based on inconvenience. Look at the shame this story brings to our culture, and we should be ashamed that in their culture, they were willing to die to protect their children, and we would rather our children die to protect the figure of the woman, the money in the bank account, and the convenience of life. Well, you're a man. You don't understand. It took a man to make a baby. I get a vote. Hello? Do I get a vote? I think I do. And remember, that could be the same thing that the South would have said to slave owners. You're a white person. You don't get to have an opinion. Yes, I do, and I'm going to war over it. Aren't you glad white people killed other white people who were owning slaves? We forget about that in our woke generation quite often, that it was white people that killed other white people so that the slaves could go free. So before there was a Django or before there was people saying all whiteies needed to die and so forth, it was whiteies saying, we'll take on our own kind. Last time I checked, I haven't seen that in too many cultures, where one group of people die so another group of people can be free. As a matter of fact, slavery still exists in Africa today. How come they're not dying to set their own people free? You see, many times civil wars are based on that, but they haven't accomplished it even in places like Dofar, in places like northern Africa. That goal has not yet even been accomplished among their own culture. And yet in our culture, though we could be blamed, I say we, even though I, I wasn't here, my people were in Europe being bamboozled by Hitler, Germany, Nazism, communism, and so forth. We came here after World War I. But notice this. If people want to put that back on my culture, notice what the white culture did in Europe and in America. They died to set slaves free. Can I hear an amen to that? 
Doesn't mean everything the U.S. military does is right. Doesn't mean we approve of all of these wars that have happened since then. It just means that we look back at our generations and we can have appreciation. Notice this once again. People today in our culture will kill their children for convenience. Back in that culture, you were willing to die for your child. Isn't that what we need again in this generation? I was talking to uh, people at the abortion clinic, and they were saying, and, and by the way, this is what we do in church. We just don't talk about Moses and play make-believe with you all. We apply it to your life, okay? <laughs> Welcome to church. Some people are like, why are we talking about abortion with Moses? Because that's what we do here. We take the word of God and apply it to our culture. We do not pretend as if your world out there is Moses' perfect little cartoon world, right? Which, by the way, when they were standing up for Jesus in their day, was just as hard as it is for us to stand up for Jesus in our day. Sometimes we think, like, for Daniel to have the courage to go into the lion's den, it was easy for him but hard for us. God forbid. It was just as hard for them as it is for us. But going back to this, when we think about our culture being willing to give up on children, I was talking to a woman at the abortion clinic, and I was, uh, you know, she had got the pill. She had already taken one of them. She was, she had received the other one and was going home to take it. And I was kneeling down by her car there at the curb, so it's the baby daddy. I don't know if there was a husband or not. And I'm talking to her through her window, and I'm saying, ma'am, we will adopt this child. We will do whatever it takes for you to spare this child. And then this is what she said. She said, but I don't want to go through the nine months. And she pointed at the kids that were in back of her because you don't know what I had to go through to have them. And I'm thinking to myself, could you imagine being in a home where your mom looked at your nine months of pregnancy for you to come into the world as something that she had the choice to do she would never do again? What does that do to that child? You see how murder and that mindset affects everything in that person's life. Looking back to those kids, if you knew what I had to go through to have them, you would know I don't want to do that again. So this is what I said to her. I said, I'm sorry that you went through hard times. I'm a man I don't understand. not going to try to pretend to be, nor am I going to be Bruce Jenner and play potato head and then act like I'm one of you when I'm not. Amen? Amen. I said, I don't understand. I said, but this is what I can understand is that you're a hero for having them. Moms are heroes. And I said, you got another chance to put on the cape and be a hero again. For nine months, it may be hard. For nine months, it may be the worst thing a body can go through because I'm giving her the benefit of the doubt that what she's telling me was hard. I'm not going to argue with that. I said, but you will give a life to this world that someone will think is worth dying for. Someone will give everything for that. There is a million families waiting to adopt a newborn. We can talk about foster care and adoption at another time. Trust me, I'm on that as well. We're trying to get that right and help church, uh, people in our church to do it. My wife and I are playing our part. But listen, there's a million families waiting right now to adopt that baby. Be a hero. Somebody say, be a hero. So you see, that's how the Bible teaches us, isn't it? See, the Bible teaches us right at the beginning, there were these parents, and they were around during a time when they were killing children, but they saw something extraordinary in that child, so they hid it. You see, that's why when you go to the hall of faith, you walk out with your back a little bit straighter, with your shoulders a little bit broader, with a little bit more of a pep in your step, because you believe that if others could do it, I can do it. You see, that's what it takes right now for parents in this generation to see their kids walk through this uh, minefield of what's going on in our schools, what's going on in our entertainment. I was driving here with my daughter, saw a drag queen there on a billboard. That's what we're dealing with, as well as an advertisement to drink your cannabis. Anybody come from 90 into the city and see that wonderful billboard today? You can drink your cannabis. You see, we're in a minefield with our family right now, aren't we fathers? Aren't we mothers? And we care about them because we see that they're more than ordinary. They're extraordinary. And they're worth our time. They're worth our effort. And watch this. They're worth us protecting and hiding from this culture. RuPaul does not get my children. At the end of my time raising them, if they want RuPaul, that's on them. But as long as I'm over my house 
RuPaul don't get my children. My child figured out the hard way that I have a say about everything in my house, including what they wear. I won't point the one out, but she brought home a Bratz T-shirt from Five Below. And those who don't know what Bratz are, it's this cartoon comic book figure with big old lips and booties and body parts and tight clothes and big on hoops, earrings, and living up to their name, Bratz. And she was given some money trustworthy to go into a store and come out with something that we would approve in our house. And so mama put it on the laundry room uh, washer and dryer to see what I would say about it. Took about two seconds, throw that away. Done. You lost your treats for today. We have a blessing time in my house. That's why I can't get a six pack. I'm blessing my kids all the time with treats. Treats, what are we doing for Father's Day? Nobody even asked me. We're going to Dairy Queen, I guess. That's what the kids voted. Treats, don't get me wrong. I do like Dairy Queen. Oh, yeah. Get right out. Throw that thing out. Not apologizing, because in this house, we're not going to be brats. See, in this house, I'm going to hide them from the things of the world. Now, sometimes people say, well, they're going to grow up naive. They're going to, no, 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 no. I take them to the west side to preach the gospel. My children aren't naive. They've seen Fentanyl Lane. They've been to Bodequa Fest. They've been out here in front of the high schools. They were just standing out in front of the high schools a couple weeks ago. All they have to do is hang around some of your kids. Trust me, my children aren't naive. But once they come into my house, the house that God has blessed me with, once they put up uh, uh, clothes on a hanger we bought and they put it in a closet paid for, are you listening to me? By the man and woman of God, we have a say about that. And you see, this generation, they want to be exposed to the naughty things of the world, but godly parents will hide them from it. If you grew up in a house and one of your complaints is that your parents were too strict, and I want to be very careful here. I'm not saying abusive, but I'm saying if your complaint is that your parents were too strict, then you need to meet some children today that grew up without a strict mom and dad. Because if they got their mind right now, they would beg to go back and have what you had. Because a strict parent is better than a no-caring parent or an absent parent. I took my children, by God's grace, yesterday, uh, Papa Krause, on a 15-mile bike ride. And I know in their heart they wish that I probably wasn't their dad for a little bit. But if the worst complaint that my children have is that I took them out on a Saturday afternoon bike ride for an hour and a half, and I did keep a slow enough pace for them, Bethany and Lucas ended up passing me by. If that's the biggest complaint they have, I'm okay with that. Because what would they rather have? Well, where's dad? I thought he was coming. Oh, no, he's got another girlfriend. Oh, he may not make it this time. Come on. Oh, where's dad? Oh, he's locked up again. Where's dad? Oh, I don't know. He's with this person. You see, if that's their biggest complaint is that dad took him on a 15-mile bike ride, I can live with that. You see, Moses' parents cared enough about him to hide him away from even the king's edict. Let me say this lastly before I move on. We are getting now to the time in our culture and society where mother will turn against child and child against mother. We saw this uh, even during the COVID time that they were being told in schools to report on their parents that they didn't get the vaccination and that they should go out against their parents' wishes to get them. Remember, brothers and sisters, I'm not anti-vaccination nor am I meddling into your house. I just believe in liberty over your body and over what you do right for your family. For our family, we didn't get the vaccination. My, uh, my parents did get the vaccination. Why do I think that matters? Well, they're senior citizens. They wanted to make sure that they would not be at risk. My family, we get sick and carry germs about every day into our house and get over it. We eat mud, dirt, drink out of the hose and faucet. I leave them back outside for hours at a time. I took our chances and we made it through. Amen. Can I hear an amen for old school work sometimes? But if I would have saw some sickly children walking around, I might have gotten them a shot, a booster, and all that, and then some. But everyone listen to me. It didn't take long until people started turning against each other very, very quickly.
My parents talk about a family friend, senior citizens, that they took the stand for their own conscience sake, not to get the booster. But their children said, you can't come around your grandchildren until you do. From what my parents told me, they have not been able to see their grandchildren for years. That's what the hipster cool parents said. Now, that's their choice. That is their choice. Grandparents don't necessarily get the first right to the grandchild. That's true. But what I'm trying to say is, isn't that something how quickly a family like that can divide? Just over a vaccine. Well, it's life and death. It's life and death. Was it really, though? I think there was a lot of hysteria put on top of that, if you think about it. I think the last time they checked, when all the numbers were done, it was still less than a percent. Still less than a percent were fatal. Maybe 5% would have to go to the hospital. Thank God for the nurses and doctors who did the right thing by them. But remember, it was nurses that got fired later on when they didn't want to get the shot, and they worked through it when we didn't have anything. You can't call that consistency. And then as they now have found out with some of our social media, and I'm glad they're holding them accountable, that you had doctors from the most reputable institutions being blocked on social media because it wasn't going along with the narrative. How can you tell me that's right? That's right. It's not. You don't have to agree, but you got to at least admit that we have all the freedom of speech in this country. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with Moses? You see, Moses' family took risks to hide the children even when the king was against them. And you're in a church today that took risks when the mayor and the governor were against us. And you see, people turned on us, and people will turn on you. You say right now, well, I don't believe it's going to happen anytime soon. Maybe that's true. But what if it does happen again? And what if this time, attached to the vaccine is just a little bit of your beliefs. So in other words, it's get a vaccine and swear allegiance to this political party. Isn't that what they did in Germany with their medicine? You really couldn't get the good medicine, the good doctors, unless you were in the Nazi party. Does anybody remember their history? Anybody read on that? You really couldn't get the help you needed unless you were communist in the Russian nation. I wonder how long it's going to take before they start holding above us their values with their medicine and their technology and say, if you want this, you got to want that. Brothers and sisters, do not think to yourselves that the story of a king ordering children to die and parents having to hide their children is so far from us. And maybe we should also remember just a little bit closer to heart our brothers and sisters around the world suffering in nations where that is being done. That's why I wear this bracelet to not virtue signal, but to pray for them daily because there are Christians in Muslim nations that if they're not Muslim, they don't get medical care. If they are not Muslim, they do not get civil rights. Their own children are kidnapped and taken from them. And so I thank God for parents today in places like Afghanistan, in places like Pakistan, where they're hiding their children from the Islamic regime. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So Moses' parents, they hide away Moses. But then he's getting bigger, and they know the neighbors will probably tell on him. And you know the story. They send him down a raft. They're that makeshift basket to hopefully see him saved. Not that they wished him to die, but that someone would find him and have mercy. And what happens? Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Continuing the story, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Right there, you've got so much theology. Let's break it down. Number one, it says everything Moses goes through as being raised up in Pharaoh's household, he does so because he regarded Christ and Christ's suffering worth more than the pleasures of Egypt. Hold on, but I thought Christmas told me Christ was born December 25th. 2000 BC or AD or 2000 years ago, about 1 AD. Hold on, how come Moses here, 1500 years, almost 2000 years before the birth of Christ, is doing things for Christ? 
That must show us that when Jesus was born, that's not when he, ex- he began to exist. Jesus coming in the flesh is the beginning of his earthly ministry. But where was he before that? John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so who is this one showing up to Abraham at the plains of Mamre, Genesis 18? It says Yahweh meets with Abraham. It must have been Jesus. Because Jesus said to the Jews in John, before Abraham was, I am. Ago am I in the Greek, referring back to the Tetragrammaton, the four initials of God's name in the Hebrew Bible. yo Hey vah You call him Lord, but they knew him as Yahweh. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. So when you think of Christmas, what you're really thinking of is Christ taking on flesh to come to earth because before that time, before 1 AD, he is with the Father and he's visiting with us. And guess what? He visited with Moses. Go to Exodus chapter 33 verse 1. Exodus chapter 33 verse 1. Come on, rustle rustle those Bible pages. Flip through your phone as I do in my Bible. I know it's always easier to have the karaoke a screen up, especially when you got fingers like the size of sausages. It's not easy for me to flip these pages around. Exodus chapter 33, but I'll tell you what I do like about a paper Bible. I like that you can highlight it and you can smell it. You can highlight your phone, but uh, your phone program, but you can't smell it. it smells so good. Getting high off the Word of God, man. Ain't no high like the most high. You think I like this chapter right here? Can anybody see it? I don't know if the lights, can anybody see some highlights? I've been to this chapter a few times. Exodus chapter 33. Can you see it, sister? It's a highlight there. What about you, brother? You want to come smell my Bible, sniff it? Not so good. You would do it, though, wouldn't you? Pass it around, man. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. What does it say? Somebody start reading it out. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses knew Jesus. He didn't know him in his incarnational name, Jesus, Yeshua. Joshua is his assistant. Joshua, the name means Yahweh saves, Yeshua in Hebrew. He didn't know him by that name. How Moses knew Jesus, as we would soon come to know him, is he knew him as Yahweh, the great I am. He's the one meeting with him in the bush. He is the one following him. He is the one bringing the Shekinah, as it says in the Hebrew, the Shekinah glory of God that my shirt represents today, the cloud by day, the fire by night. These are what we call Christophanies, these invitations to relationship with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit before the Son has yet come in the flesh. And notice that our author of Hebrews, flipping back now to Hebrews chapter 11, has no problem making that known. He, looking at verse 26, speaking of Moses, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Which the next thing that we learn, not only is Christ there with Moses, not only is he there manifesting himself in those powerful ways, but he's showing him the treasures of heaven. How many of you have had an encounter with God that you wouldn't replace for anything in this world? I'm telling you, the old timers used to say it, and uh, I, I believe it, is that he gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Just walking with my, my Jesus and I, I'm telling you, there is nothing like encounters with Jesus. Looking at some of your faces, I'm not sure you have encountered him. Maybe you should let your face know what your spirit is feeling. Can I see a smile from the people of God here today? <laughs> Amen. You know that I met Jesus, 1995, 18 years old, high school dropout, incarcerated eight times, drug dealer. I was tore up from the floor up, needed a checkup from the neck up. That's why I keep an eye on my friends, uh, my kids' friends and everybody, because I used to get in trouble when I was that age, making trouble in the neighborhood. But I'm thankful today that we have one of our neighborhood friends today. Princess, would you raise up your hand? One of our neighborhood friends is here today. You're always welcome. But I'll tell you what, I had to make a choice at my mother's kitchen table, will I accept Christ, repent of my sins, or will I continue in my rebellion and pride? I didn't even have before me 
the pleasures of sin in the Egyptian empire. But I'll tell you what, the little bit of drugs that I had in my pocket, the couple of girls' phone numbers that I stored on my beeper, and the few places that I knew I could hang out were certainly tempting to me. I couldn't imagine being at the top of the world, having everything at your fingertips, and then making a choice to give it all up for Jesus. Some of us, let's be honest, we've traded in Jesus just for a bad weekend throwing up at the end of it. Sometimes people here, I see you backslide, and I can relate to it because I've done it too. Sometimes I see you give up on Jesus for a girlfriend or boyfriend that doesn't even hang around for a while. Sometimes people, all it takes to give up on Jesus is just one thing wrong to happen in the church, and there they go. And yet think about this, what Moses was like. Moses sees it all, the worship of his family. They treated the leaders like they were gods. They made pyramids in their honor. There was no wealth that was spared from them. They were literally the kings of the world. And yet, what does he see missing? It's his relationship with his God. He knew from being raised by his mother from the hiring, remember, of Pharaoh's daughter. He had learned the stories because he must have known it somewhere. He must have heard the stories of his ancestors. And he then probably began to long in his heart for a relationship with God, the real God. Not this one here sitting on a throne, not Cleopatra, not Pharaoh. He probably started to long for that relationship that he heard that his granddaddies had had. You mean there was a man named Abraham who used to walk and talk with God, and yet God wasn't an image that he worshipped like an idol? Oh, yeah, little Moses. Your ancestors used to walk with God. One of them was named Jacob. He saw a ladder that went from heaven, from earth to heaven, and he saw angels ascending and descending on it. Those are your people. But hold on. Nurse, whatever he called her back then, but hold on. Isn't, isn't my uncle or isn't my granddad, isn't he a god? And aren't these people here, aren't they the queens of heaven? Aren't these the idols that we worship? And you could see his mother say back to him something like this. Oh, no, Moses. They're just made of dust like us. When they bury them in those pyramids with all of those fancy rituals, where their family, some of their stewards are buried alive with them. Those are where their hopes die as well. Our God made heaven and earth. And he is not worshipped with idols, with these ceremonies, and with these false beliefs. I don't know what it took through him learning the stories of his people. But Moses gave up what most of us would trade Jesus for. I'm going to say it again. Moses gave up what most of us would trade Jesus for. Pastor, why are we missing people today? Some empty seats here. Oh, it's Father's Day. Oh, that, oh that's why. That's why. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. We shouldn't have them here on Father's Day. Because after all, I mean, come on, Dad. You can't expect him to, to, you know, to enjoy his barbecue if he has to go to church. People trade Jesus for Father's Day. Oh, well, Pastor, you you know what? We can't have the youth here on this Friday, you know, because that's this function at their school. It's when they wear tights and take a bat and hit a ball. That's what we do on that day. Can't expect them to be faithful to church. And then we wonder why the youth give up on God once they hit college. We've already told them the basketball game comes before Jesus. We've already told them Mother's and Father's Day comes before Jesus. We've already told them that when one gets a cold in the house, they all stay homesick. We wonder why we've lost a generation to our smartphones, to our, uh, you know, phase rugs of YouTube. We wonder why no one wakes up in the morning saying, praise God, it's a good day to be alive. He woke me up in my right mind. I'm going to praise the Lord. We wonder why our children don't wake up like that anymore. It's because they got Cardi B on to distract them. They've got their latest sports idol to look up to. And the world just passes us by. 
And all the devil has to do is just put out just a little bit of carrot for us and we'll be the donkey. I'll say it like that. We'll be the donkey that goes for that carrot over and over again. Some of you here I know are saying, well, did you just tell those young people about Cardi B? Yeah, but all you needed was Trump and you gave up on all your morality too. A lot of supposed conservatives started worshiping Trump over Jesus. I would meet conservatives during this BLM COVID time when we were standing up for righteousness, and they would be cursing, showing me pictures of women that they're hitting on, and I'm a pastor. And then they would tell me, but I'm conservative. Listen to me, sir. You will go to the same hell as the liberal if you don't have Jesus. It's funny how quick we don't know how to call out adultery until someone we like does it. Trump and Biden will go to the same hell if they don't repent and live for Jesus. Are you listening to me? And if I have a choice to vote, yes, I'm going to vote the lesser of two evils, but that doesn't get me to stop preaching against the evil of my culture in this generation. Conservative talk show hosts are not our saviors. Most of them are wicked. Are you listening to me, brothers and sisters? Politicians are not Christian saviors. Some of you had to learn that the hard way, and I'm now teaching you again, and hopefully you'll hear me after everybody got bamboozled during that time for various agendas to the point where my wife thought the National Guard was taking over because some website said it. I had to tell her, stupid is as stupid does. We're not falling for conspiracies. We're Christians. We remain when empires come and go. Are you listening to me? I said, we remain while empires come and go. We will be here whether America is here or not. Until Jesus comes back, he will have a Christian people. And that's greater than any of our political affiliations. It's greater than any of our cultures. Christ's culture above everything. See, Moses understood something that many in our culture do not understand is that pleasures are fleeting. Notice what it says. Look at verse 25 in your Bible. Rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I want every young person, and if you think you're young, you can still look up at me, but I want every young person to look up at me. Every young person, hear me today. The reason why... We as older Christians speak to you the way we do about your lives is not because we want to take away a good time. You will hear stories like ours, Christians like me, who came out of a mess, and it will be tempting to you to think, well... If Joe got to have a good time having sex before marriage, if Joe got to get high, if Joe got to do drugs, and he came out a Christian, and now that's my pastor, well, then they're just trying to take away my good time because if God is real, I'll come back to God after I did all of that. I want you to hear me very closely. Number one, it's a miracle I'm even here. Some of my friends died in high school. Some of my friends didn't even make it to 18. That's number one. Number two, there is no guarantee you will ever come back. Because now that my dad lives in a Del Webb community in Florida, he will tell you that the older you get without God, the ornerier you get. Can I get an amen from some gray-haired folks back there that love Jesus? Haven't some of your friends become ornery at their old age? I've met them with my dad. They get mad at me in their golf carts because I don't drive the right speed in the right way, honking at me, acting like I'm on the 90 getting yelled at in traffic. I'm like, calm down, man. You're in a golf cart. How intense could your life be right now? We are in your retirement village. This is Disney World for adults, and you're, you're upset. What does that show you? You can give them all that they want, but you still can't make them happy inside. And you know what my dad will tell me? He's in his mid-70s. My mom just turned 80. You know what he'll tell me? That while he's playing golf with them and he brings up Jesus, you know what they'll say? Oh, Jim, I don't want to think about that. My dad's like, you are 70-some years old. When are you going to think about it? You this close to passing out right now and us burying you here on the eighth uh, hole. Well, Jim, I don't want to think about it. That's how many, many people are today at that age. I don't want to think about it. 
And now they're saying that they have STDs. My dad shared this with me because he's in the who's who of that community. He said, Joe, some of the ones in Tampa, some of the old folks' homes around there, he said they're having STD breakouts. Yeah, they still wild. They're still wild. Absolutely. Look it up. Look it up. I had to look it up. I trust my dad, but I wanted to look it up for myself. Sexually transmitted diseases on the rise in the elderly, especially in the homes. Brothers and sisters, let me just tell you about the fleeting pleasures of sin. They are fleeting, and their pleasures do not last long. Every time the devil tempts me to go back to sin... What he does is he gives me the great shining image. Now, I'm going to take a few moments to tell you how I'm tempted as a pastor. So please don't judge me because I know your temptations are much more sacred and holy than mine. But I have to do this for an example and to be honest, okay? Some of you will not relate to this, so please try your hardest to understand where I'm coming from, okay? This is a man talking about myself who has not looked at pornography since 96. But I want to tell you, you see how the devil tempts me. is when he tempts me on YouTube or on Instagram, it's with that shiny, pretty young girl. 20, 21, wearing something revealing. As I'm flipping through my phone, I was once watching a cat video. This is literally what just happened the other day. I was watching this cat video and it was cracking me up. I flipped the next thing on Instagram and I see what turns out to be a porn star. I didn't know that at the time. Handing out free Xboxes or trips to her house. Within moments, I'm caught in this Catch-22. Do I want to see what the person chooses now? Because now I'm somewhat interested. Fall into sin and begin to get tempted by this woman. Or quickly delete it or uh, flip through it and then put do not recommend channel. See, like I said, I was going to be honest with you. I'm sure many of you can't relate because you don't look at YouTube and you've never seen these kinds of things, right? Wink, wink. That's how temptation comes to me. And now in the next moments in my heart as I've walked away from that, flipped through the, the, the YouTube, now the devil begins to tell me, well, you could do it. You could look at pornography. No one would know. You could cheat on your wife. Now you're saying, Joe, you heard this as a pastor? Yeah, some of my friends have actually cheated on their wives, had children outside of that marriage, and now they're divorced with that woman. Somebody say, God have mercy. Other stories go the exact opposite way. My wife and I know a couple where the wife left with another woman. Now she's living a lesbian relationship. So me stepping up six inches here today does not change us from all being tempted with temporary pleasures of sin. Now, I want you to understand this, brothers and sisters. When I fight the devil in those moments of temptation, I do not fight with, well, it will not feel good. That's not where I go. Because I know it will feel good in that moment. If you notice right there, the Bible just taught you something about sin. It said it has fleeting pleasures. One of the worst things we did when I was growing up or the generation did when I was growing up was tell us, stay away from drugs because this is your brain on drugs. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. The first time I got high, I said, "Woo! I like this. If that's my brain on drugs, I guess I like scrambled eggs because I like this. As a matter of fact, as I'm an evangelist now for the Lord, I became an evangelist for drugs. I called up literally three or four of my friends, and I said, you need to try this. Why? Because in all the time people trying to get me to stay off drugs, they were trying to scare me with the negative, the pain, the judgment, or the consequence, but they never prepared me for the temporary pleasure that it brought. Same thing when I had sex. When I began to mess around with girls, it didn't hurt, y'all. It felt good. I know it's quiet in this Presbyterian church, but I'm trying. Can I get a Pentecostal amen? amen? All right. If I got to get a Presbyterian, oh my, I'll still take it. Oh my, what's this pastor talking about? And what I began to find out real quick is that it only lasted a certain amount of time, though. You see, that was what no one prepared me for. Maybe they did and I wasn't listening, but that was the deception. You see, that was the bait and switch. That was the thing I didn't understand. And that's what I want every young person here. I'm still talking to you. I want you to understand. We're not trying to keep you from a good time. We know that there is fun in that for a season. We know what Cardi B is talking about is fun for a moment. We understand that. 
those of us who have been there. But what they are not showing you is Cardi B at the clinic the next day wondering what she caught. And I want to show you some serious faces. I wish I could take some snapshots of them. But go to the clinic one day and you'll see some faces that you didn't see on the music video. When they say your name and you go in next and they start putting things where they shouldn't be, you begin to realize real quick, man, what did I get myself into? And I want to tell you what, man, you're praying with everything inside of you. I pray I don't get this. I pray I didn't have this. I just hope this rash is that. See, they don't bring you to the abortion clinic after that couple that's been living together like I had to meet the other day, whereas I described that story to you. The reason why they don't want children is more likely they're not married, they're not preparing for a family. They don't bring you there where they would rather kill children than have them. They don't bring you to the point of betrayal. They don't bring you to the point where you can be in a room full of people and have not one true friend there. One day when I was at my lowest, I had $10. I don't remember how I got it, but I had it. And I did something with it when I took it out of my pockets, and I could not find it. This was when I was couch surfing, probably around 17 years old. And I searched that house that I was staying in upside down, inside out, the entire place over and over and over again because I needed food. I needed that money. I had nothing to eat. I had no money. Come to find out a couple days later, my friend pulled me aside and said, hey, psst, psst, Derek took your, your $10, dude. That was the guy I was living with. My friend watched me tear apart a house for hours to try to find 10 bucks, find 10 bucks when he had it in his pocket the entire time. And you say to yourself, well, that's because you were broke. You didn't have the right friends. No, man, they do the same thing downtown. Bernie Madoff and these guys will hang each other out there in seconds to take everybody else's money. Where dog-eat-dog rules is how they live by out there. It doesn't matter if it's me and $10 or a guy selling out another business for $10 million. Corruption is in the heart of sinners, and you can be all around them. They will be your yes people. They will be there for you. But the moment they can take something from you and get it out of you, they will do it and squeeze you for everything you, have wor you are worth. You see, the fleeting pleasures of sin are the biggest temptation the devil has us be, uh, to give us because if he told us this is what sin looked like in the end, no one would go for it. No one would go for it if you saw where alcoholism leads, corruption leads, where uh, divorces lead to the children. You know, this man having an affair thinks, well, this woman treats me better. He has no idea what children are going to say about him in years to come when their father is nowhere around or only on every other weekend. Brothers and sisters, I am not here to tell you to stay away from sin because there is no pleasure. I am here to tell you that knowing Jesus Christ and his treasures are of greater value than the temporary pleasures of sin. This is what the scripture says, is that knowing Jesus is of more worth and of value than anything sin can give you. That is what we are trading. We are not trading the pleasures of sin just to be religious, just to show up to church on Sunday. We are giving up the pleasures of sin, sister, for the treasures of heaven. Notice what it says. It says there are fleeting pleasures of sin, but in Christ there are treasures of greater value. That's why I'm still a Christian. Because Jesus today has given me greater treasures that I wouldn't trade for the pleasures of sin. So it's up to you now what you want. I pray that you see the treasures of God worth more than the pleasures of sin. Because there will always be a pleasure. There will always be something that will scratch that itch for you. And it will be quick and easy and many of the times it will be supposedly secret. But you will have to make your choice. Moses made his. Now, we know that he doesn't do it the right way. Out of zealousness and actually pride, he kills an Egyptian trying to set free his own person where he could have intervened in a better way. So he was a little bit hot-headed. But what does he do? He stands up for righteousness. Continue on, verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
Moses saw God. How many want to see God? Hallelujah. He saw him. And by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. He slaughtered that lamb, put that blood above his doorpost, and he said, boys, I don't know what's going to happen, but we were commanded to do it. Get to slaughtering and get to painting. And that night the firstborn of Egypt died. Why did the firstborn of Egypt die? Because they had been killing the firstborns of Israelites for quite some time. Do I feel sorry for sinners? Yes, up until a point. But at some point, sinners will pay the price. And our pity will not stop God's judgment. Are you listening to me? So as Mr. T said, I pity the fool. I do. I pity the fool. I used to be one, but I want to tell you right now that God's time of patience is running out and his judgment is coming. As surely as he flooded Noah's generation, fire will purify the last generation of this earth. As surely as there was once a judgment that took out the people of Egypt, there will be a judgment upon a Babylon and God will be just in doing it. I'm going to have the blood over my house. How many have the blood of Jesus over their house, over their life? I live for Jesus. Me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I remember walking down in my neighborhood, and this man didn't have to say much, but I believed him. I was wearing a Christian shirt like this. I think it was my Chicago for Jesus shirt. And he said, hey, man, I like that shirt. And I said back to him, I said, are you a Christian? He said, oh, yeah, Jesus is in my house. And I looked at him, and I'm like, I bet you he is. (laughs) The way that man responded to me, it just meant so much to me. It was like that man understood what life was about. It's about serving Jesus. Jesus in my house. Jesus in my neighborhood. Jesus when I go to the park. Jesus when I'm out here on my job. Jesus in traffic. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything else. That's what Moses was about. Moses was about Jesus even before he was incarnated. Moses was about trusting Jesus, knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, seeing Jesus. And then they leave. And then what happens? Think about this. After all those plagues and after the worst one came upon the Egyptians, they see now the Israelites leave. They get mad and say, go chase them down. And so Pharaoh and his guys and his army begin to chase down the Israelites. And they do what is one of the most stupidest things you'll ever read about in the Bible. And that is they bring their army into a Red Sea being parted by the God who has just kicked their butt for the last few months. How many know sin will make a fool out of you? And you'll be your own demise. Those who are in hell are there because they chose to be there. As C.S. Lewis said... On judgment day, there'll be two groups of people. Those who say to God, not my will, but your will be done. And he will say, here is your will to be with me. I grant you your desire of the heart. Then on the other side will be those that God looks at and says, not my will, but your will be done. You didn't want me. You said you didn't want me over and over again. You blasphemed my name. You broke my commandments. Not my will be done because I wanted you here. I wish that none would perish, but your will be done. Depart from me, you evil, wicked doer of iniquity. I never knew you. What is our response today to God? God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Or is it my will be done? My kingdom come. Moses made a decision that day to stand up against Pharaoh, to leave Egypt, and to trust God. They're facing the Red Sea. A miracle happens. Now they can pass through on dry ground. Verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. But when the Egyptians, full of pride and stupidity, tried to do so, they were drowned. And you know God made it a bit of a comedy show on them. Because he broke off their wheels when they tried to run away. Isn't that something? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, young men, that when they realized this was a dumb idea, get out of here, horses. God said, not so fast. Angels, tap those wheels off and let them stay there. God is going to judge this world. And you know what? The Bible says he will mock them. He will mock them on the day of their judgment. When calamity comes, he will scorn them. The Bible says God mocks proud 
mockers. It says in Psalm chapter 2 that when people rebel against him to the point like the Egyptians did who serve as an example of end time judgment according to Romans, that when they mock him, the one in heaven laughs. Brothers and sisters, do not be the laughing stock of heaven when judgment comes. Be on the side of Moses and the Israelites. How, one, how many want to be with them and come out the other side with Miriam in a tambourine? Come on, I'm not talking about Miriam from the, uh, the uh, Iglesia down there, the Spanish church. You know, there's always that Spanish sister. I'm not talking about that Mary. I'm talking about the Jewish Miriam came out the Red Sea with the tambourine praising God. And hey, if you're Miriam here and you want to have a tambourine, I think we got one here for you. How many are glad there's tambourines in churches? Amen. Next week, by God's grace, we'll learn about the fall of the walls of Jericho. The prostitute Rahab will go on to summarize like they do, like Hebrews does, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets. But today, let us have the band come as we get ready to close. Remembering Moses, as Hebrews asked us to do so, he was hidden by his parents spared because they had enough courage to believe in his potential that God had for him. He then was raised in Pharaoh's house from Pharaoh's daughter, but he did not let Pharaoh get inside of him. He was of Pharaoh's house in one sense, but he was of God's house in another sense. A way you could look at it is he might have been in Pharaoh's house, but God was in his heart. Some of you go to public school, secular jobs. You're a part of a city like Chicago where it feels like all around us is wickedness and evil. But listen, brother or sister, you can have Christ within. And the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I'm reminded of the story of this young man that I pastored in the Calio Projects in New Orleans. His name was Joe from the Calio. He was one of the young men that attended our church, and we were doing discipleship with him. And I asked him one day as we were talking about his prayer life, his study uh, habits, because he was always so good to fill out his Bible studies. And I said, when do you make time to do this? I know you're in high school. You're also in the band. You're doing good in school. How do you make time? Because I want to encourage the other young people by your example. And he said, Pastor, I have to do my devotions in the bathroom. I said, why, why do you do it in the bathroom? He said, it's the only place of peace in my house. My mom has boyfriends over. My older brother's doing bad things. That's my safe spot. Every person here today has got to find that secret place, that place they get alone with God and say, Lord, you're worth it. You're worth it, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Some of you here today, you have great jobs, you have a great life, but you haven't found that place yet. You need to go walk in Millennium Park, find a little corner where the homeless haven't peed, and you need to start to pray there. Some of you high schoolers, you need to know how to pull away from your high school, you know, your, your lunchroom. You need to know how to go alone with God and get your heart right. Because every day of this life that we live, there's going to be temptation with those pleasures of sin. Because businessman or woman, after you get back from your prayer walk around Millennial Park, your boss, your coworker, might ask you to do something that God said not to do. And you need to have the courage to stand up like Moses. Or young person, that lunchtime might be over, and then one of those girls might be batting her eyes at you, or one of your friends might say, let's go out after school and do this. And you're going to need the courage, like Moses had, to say, no, I serve Jesus, I'm a Christian. Every family here needs to make time to pray, get alone with God, make sacred spaces and places so that you can have the courage of Moses. When do you need courage when your knees are shaking? When do you need courage when, when, when you're stuttering? Moses was a stutterer, but he had courage as he met with the living God. Brothers and sisters, fear is real. It does come, but if you give it the Word of God, you'll see that the reality is greater than that fear, and the reality is God is with us. People will threaten you, and that will be very real. People will ask you to deny God. People will say to you at a Father's Day barbecue, hey, do you still go to that church? Because last time I heard they were 
saying that homosexuality was a sin. And, and you know cousin so-and-so here is a lesbian, right? You, you don't still go to that church, do you? What will you do when your time comes to stand up? I'm not saying be rude and be disrespectful, but if I were you, brother or sister, I would make my stand for Jesus and say, yes, brother, yes, sister, yes, uncle, yes, aunt. I still believe in what the Bible says. It's not what my pastor says. It's not what a religion says. It's what the Bible says, and I stand by it. And more than that, I'm proud of it. When I was going to the mission field to India, we tried to get to Pakistan, but Pakistan was where Obama, uh, Obama, Osama bin Laden was hiding, and they didn't want to let us in. That's another story how God had to give me the courage to still apply for the visa. He tested my heart because it was scary to even decide to be willing to go. I think I had three children at that time. But as I was thinking it through, I... I used my imagination a lot to face my fears. I thought, well, what if the worst case scenario happens? I do get kidnapped. The Muslim terrorists get me, you know? They torture me for fun. They want to put out the video. And I, sadly, I had watched some of these videos on uncensored websites. And you can see these people screaming, gurgling while their blood is coming. It's just nasty, right? So this fear was over me. What will you do? And I felt the Lord put in my heart a saying to say back to them that I would prepare now and be ready to say then if should that time come. And of course, life is long should the Lord tarry, and I still may have to use this. But this is what the Lord gave me to say to them. Muslims, y'all hear me? I believe in this more than what you believe in. I'm ready to die. You see, some of you have to get that kind of courage and have a talk with you and the Lord where you just make those statements and you mean it. Mom, Dad, I believe in this and I'm going to die for it. Michael Brown talks about when he was preaching in India, the Hindu extremists started messing with them and they were trying to take down the sound systems and it was a tug of war going back and forth every night and they finally got a hold of them. A bunch of these business owners got a hold of the pastor and Michael Brown and all of them and said, if you guys don't stop, we're going to tear all this stuff down. You're going to lose it. And Michael Brown said, you know, the American missionary, before he could even respond, the Hindu Christian, the pastor he was supporting said, it doesn't matter what you do you can kill me I'm coming back and you can imagine Michael Brown okay I'm with him now <laughs> I guess that's where we're at and I'll tell you what I've only met that courage twice in my life as I've heard the stories one was during the time of COVID when I was with brother Christian the pastor of Elam Romanian Pentecostal Church we were together and we had both gotten the call that the mayor had the edict from the health board that now they could seize our buildings and that they were going to take our buildings as city property if we did not comply to them. And his first response, because I was with him as he got the call from the lawyer, we ended up both having to meet with our own people. His first response was after he got off the phone is, I'm willing to die in front of this church. He had already been persecuted in Romania during the time of communism. When that man said that sentence to me, I cannot tell you the kind of courage that I had. I said, I'm willing to die with you, brother. I'm heading back to my church to get the papers now. And he meant it. We'll die now. We'll die for Jesus. This is it. And then the other time was when I was with Nini's Deli, and we were standing in the front, and the riots had come. And the police were totally wrong that day. They did not protect us. They were all standing aside. You know what I'm talking about, Joby. They were not in front of us. They did not prepare a barrier for us. Our lives were being threatened. And when we came into Nini's Deli, I remember Jose and Juan saying back at me, Pastor, I'm ready to go back out. I had just pushed them all inside. I said, this is a riot. Who knows what they're wanting to do to us now? We all have to go inside. And I'm, God is my witness. They looked at me and they said, I'm ready to go back out. Courage, brothers. Courage, sisters. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. 
I've met Jesus. I'm willing to lay down my life. I'm willing to give up sin, take up my cross, follow Jesus. What are you willing to do? Are you willing to stand when it's your time to stand? Are you willing to be righteous and holy when the world's gone mad? Are you willing to be proud of what your brothers and sisters have done before you? Are you willing to stand on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. What will you do when it's your turn to stand up against the Egyptians of your time or the pleasures of your sin? In summary, it's like this. If the devil can't get you from pleasure, he'll try to get you from suffering. If he can't get you from suffering, he'll try to get you from pleasure. Moses, by God's grace, resisted both. And I pray we resist and we live holy and we get to see God's judgment come. And as there's always in a game a winning team and a losing team, how many have read the end of the book and know that we're on the winning side? Hallelujah. I'll be here when he comes back. Amen. I'll be here shouting, Maranatha, come Lord, come Lord. As others are saying, oh no, oh no, oh no, he's coming. I'm saying, oh yes, oh yes, he's coming on a white horse with the angels of heaven. Oh yes, Lord. Would you stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God.